You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's definitely going to be different not having those matchups that you would expect every year. Because the NHL drafts like 17-year-olds, the NHL has to tread the water really carefully. They don't even have a goalie. Like, what what is the draw? But going into this year because of the Seattle Kraken's expansion draft. But Where is this going? Oh so, God. no, so listen, hear me out. It's going somewhere. It's, it's just not part of hockey. Like, really looks like that weird dad I don't want me to pick up from school. Like, Welcome to Slapshot Sweethearts. Hello, hello, and welcome to Slapshot Sweethearts. My name is Shannon, and we are missing my co-host Meg today, as you can see, but that's okay, because we, with me, we have an absolutely incredible guest. We have Caleb Dahlgren, who is a graduating York University student out of Toronto, a diabetes advocate, a published author, and a former Humboldt Bronco, one of which who had survived the horrible tragedy on April 6, 2018. Caleb, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Doing good. Thank you so much for having me on here. Really looking forward to chatting with Slapshot Sweethearts. Hey, sweetheart, right. not really the hearts. But, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, the two of us, but no worries. <laughs> looking forward to this. Awesome. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I won't lie. I've been uh, nervous since I finished the book for this interview. Your book was absolutely incredible. I was so moved by not only you know your resilience after the accident, but you know all the resilience resiliency that you talk about prior as well. I was a little bit surprised at just because I didn't know about, you know, all of your advocacy with diabetes, losing your trainer, all of those things. And the way that you told the story, you were just wise beyond your years. It was incredible to read. Well, thank you. That really means a lot. I really appreciate it. And there was lots of challenges I've had to dealt with throughout my life. And uh, they definitely made me the person I am today, though. I'm super grateful for it. And yeah, I've had to mature, I guess, a bit younger than most people do. But at the end of the day, Hopefully everyone gets to that place too. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you really make an emphasis in the book to show that you grieve both, like I said, with diabetes, your father's health, health, your personal trainer, and then obviously the accident differently than a lot of people do. And I think that was really big in how you ended up at York in those summer months and everything. From that end, how did you end up in those following years writing a book? Was it something that you kind of ended up doing as like a coping mechanism where you approached, um, obviously, as a full time student and working with York Athletics, like you don't have a ton of free time. So, you know, how did you get here? Yeah. So I actually, it's a little bit of a long story. So I uh, ended up doing my first ever speech about my life on, in 2019, early 2019, it was at a hockey conference, like for up and coming athletes. And so I did one there and I was shaking the whole time. I had the papers and I was, I was reading about it and it was, I opened up about my diabetes, my dad and the crash. And that was the first time I ever talked about my dad or the crash. I've done lots of advocacy work, like you said in the past about diabetes. So I was really comfortable with that topic, but going into the other two, I was very, very scared. And after I had a person come up to me and say, that was amazing. You need to write a book. And I laughed it. I was like, no way am I ever writing a book. No. Like, I'm a student <laughs> athlete. There's no way. Like, I don't have the time. I don't really even want to write a book. I'm not really a big book guy. I don't think so. And so then he's like, no, like, I'm not even kidding. Seriously, you should look into it. I was like, no, I'm good. Thank you, though. It's really nice of you, but I'm good. So I did a couple more of these, and I'm not even kidding. I literally had people come up to me and say, you changed my life, and you need to write a book. You need to write about this. And I was still like, okay, I'm not writing a book, but thank you. So then after probably the fifth time I've done this, and another dozen people have said that I've changed life or that my perspective has really made their outlook change or that I've saved their life or that I should be putting this down on paper. I really was like, okay, maybe I should look at this and maybe try to consider this instead of pushing it away. So I talked to my agent at the time and I said, hey, Jeff, what's what's the plan here? Like, what's going on? Why are people telling me I should be writing a book? He's like, well, you really do have a story and the way you carry yourself is different than many people. So it was like, you're probably, book would probably help a lot of people. I thought, I don't know. I'm really, I'm really not like that. And I was like, maybe not. We'll just hold off. So a couple months passed. And uh, end up kind of getting an offer from HarperCollins just to kind of chat. I was like in the works. I was talking to my agent. There, he's talking to them, and they end up being interested in me and wanting me to just see it or talk to me, kind of thing. And so I was still pretty leery about it, and I ended up going there. And uh, yeah, it was super cool experience. But at the time, I had so many things going on. Like you said, I was a student athlete one, so I was with the men's hockey team at York University, and we practiced five four times a week, play two games on the weekends, work out four times a week. So that was a part one of the grind. And then two, I was a full-time student. I was in five courses and I was in a commerce degree, like heavy into it. And uh, I was also part of our student council. I was volunteering with four different organizations at my own organization too. Right. So it was just so many things on top of it. I was like, no, I still can't do this. And, right. uh, small undertaking either it's not a 10 page no <laughs> no yeah and so I ended up talking to Haley Wickenheiser I know some of the slap shot sweetheart fans will like that but I ended up talking to her her and I really got along nicely and after the crash we really bonded and I really value her opinion and I asked her like what do you think like where are your thoughts of this and she said I think your story could help tons of people why wouldn't you do it and that made me really think even more. And so I sat with it. And the whole part that I didn't really know was that if I was ready to open up myself, if others were okay with me opening up, if I felt comfortable even opening up, 
if I was ready to take on what was going to come. There's a lot of different situations with it. And then even with the school aspect, I wanted to succeed because I wanted to be a chiropractor. So I, I couldn't just dog it in school and just get by. And I wanted to succeed. So there's lots of different factors. And one day I was sitting in class and my professor said, if you want to make a change in the world, it starts with you. And that was when it really hit me. And I was like, what am I doing? Why wouldn't I take this opportunity and run with it and try to make the most of it and turn something negative into something positive? And so I ended up doing that and signed with HarperCollins in January of 2020, finished writing the book in December of 2020, and here we are today. Yeah, I mean, good for you. Like I said, the book is incredible. And I mean, it, it doesn't show in any way that you had no interest in writing the book. It looks like you've been writing the book, writing books for a decade, the way that it comes <laughs> off. So, I mean... So obviously a huge part of your life now post Bronco has been honoring these 16 angels and their families. I, you know, like I said, prior to us recording, being the same age as you and participating in sports and clubs that had those similar camaraderies and things like that to hockey, completely understand that it's sometimes difficult, obviously not in book form, but just generally to explain those inside jokes and what it's like to have those friendships to other people that may not have been there. So how did you kind of go about explaining those little things like bachelor nights and you know watching Riverdale and how you had those close relationships with those people that have passed to try to honor them in their memory from a storytelling perspective and making the reader really feel like they knew the team you know while also trying to tell your story and making sure that it was being heard yeah I think that was a one of the things I really wanted to emphasize was that everybody was mentioned or at least as many people as I could men were mentioned because I couldn't mention everyone in our season because there was lots of people on at least junior teams or people that come and go. So I wasn't able to mention everybody, but there's still quite a few people that I was able to get in there. And it was just trying to show for me how much everyone meant to me and how much fun we had too. It was a really great season. And especially the Bachelor Mondays, we'd have 15 plus guys on our 23-man roster there. And it was at my villa's house. Yeah, that one so, shocked me. <laughs> yeah, like it was insane. And uh, it was just more of a fun atmosphere. It wasn't really, I don't think we really loved the show. I was a fan, but I think some of the guys didn't really love it. But we all loved being together. And that was the part that we really enjoyed was just getting together. Even if it was for Bachelor or Riverdale, it was just being together more than actually watching the show. And uh, I think we really all valued that aspect of it. And even with good teams, you have to have a tight-knit group. And I think the best teams and championship teams are the tightest teams. And so that was one of the things that we really wanted to harp on as a leadership core was to be tight and close. And so I, for me, it was hard to, I wanted to mention everybody that was there this season, but I couldn't, but I definitely was able to mention everyone. And I wanted to keep the nicknames in there to kind of have that sense of camaraderie, like you said, and a little bit more of a personal touch to it. And uh, I know even with Harper Collins, I, I was tossing in nicknames and they're like, I don't know. I was like, no, I think this is going to fit. Like, I think this is it. This is definitely shows the hockey atmosphere of nicknames and everybody has a nickname and you just call them by their nicknames. And so I think that that was one of the things I want to get through. And then, like you said, with honoring those 16, chapter 16 was definitely the hardest chapter to write in the book. I'd say that one and right after the crash too was pretty difficult. But chapter 16, I think personally, because I wanted to honor those and I wanted to be literally the best chapter ever. And I said that in the book. I want to be the most beautiful thing possible, but I couldn't. There's no way possible. And uh, I just wanted to remember them and honor them, the memories that they left me with, and something I want to take forward from them all. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, talking about how difficult this book 
must have been a right. Obviously, from a coping perspective, I'm sure it was incredibly difficult. But also, you had significantly memory significant memory loss after the crash. So, what kind of you know, for lack of a better term, information gathering did you have to do regarding that period in which you didn't remember? putting pen to paper during part two, did you kind of go off of the stories you were told or did you have to go back and talk to those people to really kind of put it into a storytelling perspective? You know, what was that process like? Yeah. So if, even with the team, I really was able to reflect on lots of our videos that we had, lots of memories I still remember and cherish today for the team aspect. And then when I did lose those four and a half days after the crash, I suffered a severe traumatic brain injury. And in that I had post-traumatic amnesia, it's called. It's something where you are like walking around and you're able to function, but you just don't remember it. So for those, as for lack of a better explanation, if you're blackout, drunk or whatever you want to call it, but you're still walking around and all that, right? and you don't remember it at all. And that was kind of the same situation where I was walking, I was talking, but I have zero recollection of that. And so for me, it was hard to really grasp what all happened and we had to ask people they get stories we had stories told to us that we remembered and kept and my parents really filled in those days too they filled in those four and a half days my friends filled it in and it was really trying to get a whole group perspective but it was also really cathartic too in the healing journey because i was able to piece together some of the puzzle that i didn't know i think it was super nice for that aspect too but yeah we had to ask tons of people for it and i think one of the cool things was just how much strength my parents had and sharing their section of it too and being there on the scene and from their perspective what happened. So I think that was super powerful for me just to see how much vulnerability they had too. Yeah, I mean, one of the real sticking points for me for that chapter was when you were able to really build that relationship with the first responder that found you and that you guys went through that grieving process together. I think that was really incredible for, you know, obviously the reader, but also for you that you were able to build that relationship and really, you know, heal together, both you gathering those memories and him really trying to cope with what he saw. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that was something super special that I'll never take for granted is meeting him and really spending time just listening to him. And he was in lots of pain too. And you could tell just by his eyes and the hurt that he was really in pain and it had really impacted him. And that's the part that people often forget. It was, yeah, there's 29 on the bus that were completely impacted and there's all the families impacted, but it was also those that were on the scene too that have to live with this and witnessed everything. And they're impacted as well, just as much. And I really feel bad for those people too. Yeah, my mom is a, an EMT, so I completely understand that. You know, when she came home from a bad day of work and you could just tell that something happened that obviously there's some uh laws in which you you can't really talk about it but you know when they have to mm -hmm. cope with those things on their own so that was you know something like i said that really stuck with me and i really valued that you were able to build that relationship with him that's incredible mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. I, I do too yeah so shifting a little bit to you know what you've been able to do since april 2018 like i said you really have had an incredible life already with all you've been able to do with diabetes advocacy and you know, everything like that. And your prognosis following the ac accident was miraculous already that you spoke about it a couple of times in the book that all of the damage that you had, you were, you shouldn't have been able to do a lot of the things that you're able to do now, which is absolutely incredible, but you haven't been able to play hockey. So I can't even imagine how heartbreaking that is for you. And you've been able to maintain different roles and really cope with that. What has that been like for you? Obviously, you made it to York. You said it in the book. That was really the goal, that you made it to college hockey, whether you were able to play in a game or not. 
what, how have you been able to adjust to that, you know, and cope with your diagnosis in that manner? Yeah. So for me, it's been definitely a difficult process, especially at the start. When I first got to York, I was able to practice with the team, but not doing contact still, but we're doing drills and I was faster than some of the guys on the team. I was able to keep up with practices and do the drills well. And I was scoring on the goalies. And I was like, okay, well, I actually can be here and I actually have the ability to play at this level. And then even my teammates were saying, oh, you're looking great. I'd love to see you play, even coaches too. And it's so nice to hear that. But then at the other end, it's like, I don't know if I ever will be able to play. I don't have any symptoms, but based on my images, I shouldn't even be out here. I shouldn't even be able to walk. So it's great to have these images and all that. There's also that safety aspect and where you are a little bit nervous of what does happen if I do take an edge and I go head first in the boards. Or what happens if I do get hit and this by accident, I do get hit. And so for me, it was definitely a hard thing to deal with, but I really thought it was a wrong image. And I alluded to that in the book and I said, like, I really think this isn't the right image. I was passing all these tests. I had no symptoms whatsoever. I was feeling great on the ice. And I was like, maybe it was the wrong image. Like, yes, I remember, I don't, I don't remember those four and a half days, but I mean, I've made such a great recovery. I know I had a brain injury or a concussion maybe, but maybe not something as serious as this. And uh, ended up getting another image. And then sure enough, that was when it really hit me, just the gravity of the situation. That was kind of when I had to pivot my mindset of trying to work and trying to get back as hard as I could to get on the ice and to be in shape and to be the best to, okay, how can I make a difference within our team without playing the game? Where can I actually step up and take a role where we need help that can make a lasting impact on this program? So for me, I was able to do quite a few things. I was um, part of our Vice Athletic Student Council and I was a team representative for that. I was also on Heroes Hockey, which is an organization that supports underprivileged children with uh, learning how to play the game in the Jane and Finch area of York. And uh, that was one that I would go every Wednesday to. And then on our team, I'd be our assistant strength and conditioning coach and then also the head of recruiting. So I took on quite a few roles and I wanted to be a leader still. So I tried my best in academics and on practices and workouts. I really just tried to be a leader in all aspects of my hockey career away from the games on Friday and Saturday because I couldn't play those, but I could do everything else with the team and be a part of that team. So I really just gave it my all and put my whole heart into it. I think that's what you got to do in life. And even with the book, when you said I'm not much of a book guy, I agree. But once I did decide, I put my whole heart into it and I went all in for it because I think that's the only way you can live life is to be all in. And uh, for hockey, I wanted to be all in for school, all in, and especially for the book too. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's incredible to hear that, but how have you, you know, not being able to play hockey is one thing because of the safety issue, but obviously the risk still stands there that something could happen with the injury that you have. Are you concerned about that at all? Or have you really just, you know, decided this is the time I have, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm going to live with it. You know, how, how mentally have you coped with that side of things? Mm. Yeah. So for me, mentally in the stands, the hardest part was watching the games. I still have issues when I watch my team play and it's not, not because I'm jealous or selfish. It's more because I just want to be out there and go to war with them too. And I really, really think that I could be an asset on the bench. Even if I don't play like even second, I could be an asset on the bench to get the guys going, to get them pumped, to keep them in the right headspace. But it's just, it's hard to watch from the stands 
because I wish I could be out there blocking the shot in the last minute or that I could be out there taking a hit to make a play or that I could pat my buddy on the back who just ended up scoring a goal or even to the goalie I opened the door and just joking around with him. I wish I had that opportunity, but I don't. I think that's the hard part about it. But then there's also another part where I'm even grateful to have the opportunity to be a part of the team, to be a part of the Lions, and to still be able to call myself a York Lion if I never play a game. And one of the funny stats is I'm 100% on face-offs. I'm five out of five in ceremonial face-offs. And so uh, <laughs> it's a pretty good stat to have. And I even got a goal credited to me during a game from the stands, but uh, it ended up getting taken back and given to the correct player. But I think I, you try to have fun with it, but yeah, it was definitely difficult because I've always been a leader on the ice too during the games, just like with my actions, how I treat the refs, how I try to calm the bench down or try to lift the bench. And I've always had that aspect and to miss that one piece, I didn't feel like a true leader per se in all aspects. But then, like I said earlier, how I wanted to lead everywhere else I could. And even though I couldn't lead in the games, during the games, I could still lead everywhere else within our program. And that was one of the things that I was really grateful for. But yeah, it was definitely difficult for me. And the way I looked at it was just, I'm grateful to be here and grateful to have the opportunity to be a Lion. And that sometimes our hockey careers aren't decided by ourselves. They're decided by other situations, not even just hockey, but sporting or life. Sometimes our careers have to end because of circumstances. And for me, that was one of the hard concepts to really get by. But I focus on the positives and that I still can help the team in another capacity by recruiting and strength and conditioning and all that community service as well. So I definitely tried to mold into that, but it wasn't easy mentally. And there was times where it was really difficult for me to try to look at the positives, even when you're sitting in the stands watching your team and knowing that you could definitely help them. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously your impact on the hockey community continued, even though you weren't playing at York, continued both locally and across Canada with what you're doing with Dahlgren's Dive Beauties, which is still going strong, I think. Uh, you're still teaching at youth sports and those camps and all those things that you mentioned in the book. And you're constantly advocating for different causes on social media, which is incredible to see. I know some of your teammates are doing that as well. Uh, once the craziness of this book dies down, what do you see coming next with regard to all those things? Obviously, you're not with York anymore once you hit graduation. So what what's coming next with all of this you know, community, community advocacy work you've been doing? Yeah, I think just right now it'll be limiting as much uh, going to Carroll <laughs> School just to see what happens in my first year or first uh, semester. For me, I really want to just limit it and just see how it goes because I'm you know, told we're taking tons of classes at once. And I want to make sure that I'm able to succeed in that because that is truly my future and it's my passion. Right. And that is my job for the rest of my life. So I want to succeed and excel in that aspect of my life, but also still want to continue giving back. So I think for me, I'll be doing the odd speech here and there, continuing my diabetes advocacy, because I, it's one of the most important ones to my heart, community-wise. I mean, they're all really important in all different different ways, but for me, it's one I connect with on a personal level and one that I feel like I can have a really big impact in through my personal experience. So I continue my Zolgren's diabetes. I'm not sure where I want to take it yet. I'm actually meeting with all the diabetes here coming up just to talk to them and see what they think or where they'd like it to go and just get some insights. But for right now, I think it's gonna be taming it back a bit. I'm still gonna be somewhat active, but maybe not as active as I was because I can't do it forever and I will drain out eventually. But I think choosing the right time to do it also is crucial. 
And so in the peak times, I'll definitely be involved in different communities. But for right now, it'll be just a diabetic community, maybe something with York. I don't want to commit to anything yet until I actually get a semester under my belt in chiropractic studies. Yeah, for sure. So this has been incredible. Once again, Caleb, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story with both, you know, the world, the hockey community alike. Uh, we would be happy to help you with Dahlgren's Diabetes with us and our fans, however we can. Uh, and then let everyone know where they can find you and your advocacy work with diabetes and such on social media, if you'd like. Amazing. Yeah. So it's actually at Caleb Dahlgren right here. <laughs> I have all the links in my bio. So if you want to see Dahlgren's diabetes, there's one for Twitter, one for Instagram. Facebook's where our group chat is. So I don't really have a Facebook page for it. And I haven't really updated it too much. Hoping to update it more after this book frenzy ends. So that's another thing I'm trying to work on. But uh, I think that right now I've been really trying to focus on enjoying my time being graduate and not having school in my mind and also enjoying this book process and trying to make it through it. So, but uh, it'll definitely be some updates for sure. And yeah, so just follow me on anywhere, Twitter, social media. Yeah, that's social media, Caleb Dahlgren, that's it. It's pretty easy, and there you go. Awesome, so if you haven't yet, make sure you check out Caleb's book, Crossroads. It is an incredible story about his life and overcoming adversity throughout his life with diabetes, the Humboldt Broncos tragedy and more. And once again, Caleb, thank you for joining us. We greatly appreciate it. And if you haven't yet, make sure that you follow Slapshot Sweethearts on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, alike. You know where to find us. Thank you again, Caleb. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on here. Appreciate it. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.